Good morning, church. Ooh. I'm looking here and I'm trying to figure out where Gary keeps his water because there's papers everywhere. I guess right there. Well, it's good to see your smiling faces this morning as Austin said that uh, Pastor Gary and Carrie are down in Florida getting Emily graduated from college. And uh, rumor has it they're driving Anna's little car back, but I'm not, that's a rumor. We'll see how that goes. So pray for them. <laughs> it's a little car. <clears throat> and uh, if, uh, if, if my memory is right, girls always have more stuff than guys at college. And so it's going to be a full car on the way home. Well, I want to add my own prayer this morning to what pastor is praying, so let's just lift our hearts in prayer one more time. Father, I thank you that we can be here in your house. I thank you that you have brought us here and that we brought the Holy Spirit with us. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us in all worship and in all wisdom as your word is proclaimed. Let it come forth from my mouth, Lord, without error and in all truth. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And then I have a missionary plug. I found this out on the table. I don't know these people. They've probably been here. It is um, <clears throat> Troy and Heidi Jo Darren. Um, and the reason I brought it up here is because I see that they are missionaries to Moldova. And if anybody still watches news, you'll see that Moldova is currently undergoing some turmoil. And... Um, they could be the next country in Russia's sight. So, pray for the Darrens and for the country of Moldova as we continue on this morning. So my message this morning is brought to you partly because of something that Pastor said way back on Palm Sunday. He was uh, preaching a message about the borrowed colt. And this is one little phrase, but I'd been praying about what message to bring. And this little phrase just stuck with me, and I decided that this is where I was going to go. He said, you know, sometimes in life we just go bumping along. And I'm going, bumping along, what does that mean? Well, Pastor explained it as we, you know, we all need Jesus to help us to get through life. We're fragile vessels. We break things physically, emotionally, spiritually. And uh, sometimes those bumps in the road cause us issues. So we need Jesus to help us take us through those bumps in the road. Well, I thought of two different things when I thought of bumping along in life. <clears throat> so bear with me as I have a couple of little stories. The first one is, <coughs> excuse me, the first, well, let me, let me get this right. The first story goes way back to my teenagerdom. Back in the day, I was a farmer. <laughs> and um, part of farming is riding the tractor. And so, you know, after they plowed the fields, now plowing the fields was not a problem. You put a couple of wheels in the plow furrow and the tractor pretty much goes down the, down the row without too much guidance. <clears throat> but what comes after plowing after you've made these 12-inch deep furrows all over the whole field, lined up in rows, 
is disking the furrow, disking the plowing. <clears throat> and disking the plowing, you get on the tractor, you got aim it somewhere across diagonally or across the furrows, and you go like this across the plow furrows because you bump along the whole way. Anybody who ever had the disc plow furrows knows that that's truly bumping along in life because they just, every 12 inches, there's another furrow and they just keep on going. So I'm thinking, you know, well, you know, and that's a necessary thing. I look back on it with some fondness today when I was doing it. I was a teenager. I hated it. It was, I just wasn't, didn't want to go there. So I would definitely call that bumping along in life. <clears throat> now my second story is, it's still a good thing, but how many walleye fishermen we got out there? Okay, we got some. So, you know, when you're sitting in the boat and if you're drifting or trolling or letting the wind take you where it's going to go, you, you cast out, you wait till your, your weight hits the bottom, and then you bump it along the bottom, trying to catch fish. Now, Jesus called his disciples to be fishers of men, I don't think that was quite what he was talking about. They fished with great big nets. But still, that fishing for walleyes is one of those really good things in life where you can just kind of sit in the boat and ride the waves and bump along the bottom trying to catch that walleye. So that was the first couple of things that I thought of. <clears throat> but then I thought, hmm, there's probably got to be some biblical story about somebody who was bumping along in life. And, and the Lord spoke to me almost immediately. You know, you need to look up the life of Gideon. You need to go check out Gideon. So if you'd turn with me to um, Judges chapter 6. We're going to start at verses 11 and 12. And take a look at the story of Gideon. And let me read from verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And this is where Gideon looked over his shoulder and said, who's he talking about? Okay, who were the Midianites? Well, the Midianites were from the east side of Jerusalem, east side of the Jordan. <clears throat> they actually, uh, you remember, if you remember the Midianites from the story of Moses, that's where he got his wife from. And, uh, he, and uh, his father-in-law helped him while they were in the desert. So there was some good Midianites. But these Midianites basically came every fall after the Israelites had plowed and planted and harvested. And then the Midianites would roll in with their camels and strip everything from the land and take it all home with them, leaving the Israelites with nothing much of anything left to eat or to live on for the rest of the year. And this had been going on for over seven years. And um, uh, Midian, or excuse me, Gideon, was hiding down in this wine press trying to thresh some wheat unnoticed by the Midianites to feed his family, to, you know, to help out, to do what they could to keep these Midianites from stealing 
all of their produce for the year. So he's in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord. Now, who's this angel of the Lord? Well, it's a, it's a common phrase used in the Old Testament. And as we will see in a few minutes, as we read further on, this angel of the Lord accepted worship from Gideon. Now, the only one, angels won't do that. The only one that will accept worship from man is God. So more than likely, this is what's called a Christophany or a Theophany. This was the pre-incarnate Jesus coming to talk to Gideon, appearing in the form of a man. Um, so, what was, you know, Gideon's going, mighty man of valor. I mean, is he talking to me? I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I, I, you know, I'm in the wine press. I'm hiding. Uh, is... is who is this guy? What's he doing? Why is he calling me this? Now, we <clears throat> know from our experience with the Lord that God calls those things that be not as though they are. We find that in Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. And he was talking to Abraham and Sarah, and it says, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. You know, when God speaks to us, He looks at us and He sees the things that can be. The things that are in us and that He can pull out of us. He doesn't look at our weakness. He doesn't look at our inabilities. He looks at what He's going to put into us. So when this angel of the Lord calls to Gideon as a mighty man of valor, that's he saw that inside Gideon. He knew it was there. <clears throat> yep. Now Gideon, well let me keep reading. Gideon kind of gets into a little bit of a pity party immediately. And he says, Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, says, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So Gideon says to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So when, the, when God has given us our walking papers, our instructions, our what we need to be about and doing, we should really just shut up at that point and go do it. Um, but Gideon is, is maybe a little bit unsure of his faith at this point yet. And so he says, okay, angel of the Lord, just hang on there. Let me go make something and bring it to you. And the angel agrees with him. Um, and so Gideon goes and he 
make, bakes unleavened bread, uh, kills a calf, makes broth, brings it out, and there's enough food there probably for five or six people at least. But it's just Gideon and the angel. So the angel tells Gideon, place it on this rock, pour the broth over it, and then he touched it with his staff, and fire burned up this offering that Gideon had prepared. And the angel of the Lord disappears. And Gideon goes, I'm a dead man. This was truly God. And no man can see God and live. He learned that from Moses, from God speaking to Moses. So he was concerned. But the Lord spoke to Gideon and says, No, um, you will not die. And I'm reading all the way at verse 23. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Which transliterated into Hebrew would be Jehovah Shalom. So Gideon met this angel of the Lord. He got his instructions. He got his sign of the blazing fire that devoured the offering. So he's ready to go, right? He's empowered. He's, he's equipped. He's ready to go. Eh, well, God's got a little bit something more for him to do. Because those who God calls, he equips and he builds into them. Okay, so at verse 25 we start another piece of the story. And the Lord says to Gideon, take your father's bull, I'm going to paraphrase here, it's a, it, it's a long story, take your father's two bulls, go into town, and tear down the altar of Baal, which is made of stone, and tear down the Asherah pole, which is made of a dead tree, and tear them down. Because whom God has called, God will prepare and He will require that sin be taken out of them. Gideon's father and probably all the people of the town were worshiping at this altar of Baal. Worshiping at this Asherah pole. They were not worshiping the God of Israel even though they knew who He was. They knew what He'd done for them. But they turned. They turned to, to the Baals. And so God tells Gideon, go tear it all down. I can't have it. You can't, you can't be a participant in this. And, okay, Gideon does it, but he's still a little unsure of God's call on his life, so he does it in the middle of the night. Uh, he takes ten of his servants, goes, tears it down, and in fact, he takes the stone, rebuilds an altar to the Lord, takes the Asherah pole, cuts it up, takes the um, one of the bulls, kills it, sacrifices it there on the altar, and burns the Asherah pole as a sacrifice to God. Burns everything up on the altar. And um, he, does it. he does this. Now when morning comes, he does all this in the middle of the night. Now when morning comes, the people of the town come out and see that their altar is gone, 
the Asherah pole is gone. There's a new altar that's had a bull on it that's been burnt up and sacrificed. And they're going, who did this? Well, I mean, Gideon did have ten servants with him. You know, tongues get loose. They've probably talked. And so the people of the town say, well, Gideon did this. Let's, let's, let's kill him. Let's go get him. And they went to Joash, his father, and they said, send out your son. We're going to kill him for tearing down our altar. And, and Joash, it's, it does, the story doesn't really say. He may or may not have been a participant at this altar of Baal. But he gets a little backbone. He gets a little spine. And he says, I'm not sending Gideon out to you. If your God is strong, let him deal with, with him. And uh, renames Gideon to a name that means the, the contender with Baal. And, and so Gideon's got his father behind him now. And then let's go on to verse 33. I've got to make sure I'm following my notes. Verse 33, let me read. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizrites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messages to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. Okay? So the Midianites have shown up in force. They've got them and their camels, and they're all in the valley in Israel, ready to go on their raiding parties. But the Spirit of some translations say the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God clothed Gideon. He put it on like a mantle. And you've got to remember, this is Old Testament time, so God gave the Spirit as needed, and some, a lot of times He took the Spirit away when the work was accomplished. So it says that the Spirit of God clothed Gideon, and Gideon sent an alarm. He sent it first to his family, and then he sent it to the tribe that his family was a part of, and then he sent that clarion call to all the tribes right around them. Said, send people. We're going to go do battle with these uh, Midianites. We're going to war, go to war with them. And the people came. In fact, uh, there was probably like 32,000 men, fighting men, who came to do battle. Now, unfortunately, the Midianites and the Amalekites had 135,000 fighting men. So, you know, even that, it was five to one. The odds didn't look good. And then we have a little interlude. Because Gideon still isn't sure what his call is. He still isn't quite sure that God is really calling him this nobody. Kind of sounds like Moses at first, right? When he was at the burning bush. God... Moses could hardly believe that God would use him, a nobody, to lead the Israelites. But So Gideon goes through his two fleeces, and we're not going to talk about that story. I'm sure you've, you've heard the fleeces story. The first one he puts out, 
the fleece is wet and the floor is dry. The second one he puts out, the fleece is dry and the floor is wet. And I, I just want to say that we gotta we gotta read this and then recognize that not everything written down in the Word of God is something that we should be emulating. Okay? <clears throat> Even Gideon knew that he could get into trouble for doing this because Moses, back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, do not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus repeated the same thing to the devil when he was being tempted in the wilderness. He said to the devil, you shall not test the Lord your God. So Gideon, I think, got away with this one. God was dealing with him with grace. Okay, He let him do this fleece thing. Uh, I can't recommend that we should do the same. I think we should just hear the voice of God, hear what God has instructed us and told us to go do, and then go do it. Okay? We really shouldn't need fleeces. But God let Gideon get away with this. Um, so Gideon goes out with these 32,000 men. And God says, you know, that's way too many. Because... Well, let's read. I'm in chapter 7, verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And this was actually in the Law of Moses. There were several different stipulations that if you met those, you didn't have to go to war. And being fearful and afraid was one of them. How we know that that those who don't have the faith or the courage, even, even, in a, even in a military situation, that they can weaken those who do have the faith and the courage to go do what they've been told to go do, and they know that they have to go do. But God says here, you know, that's just too many. I don't want them taking the credit for what I'm going to do, because I'm going to do it. So he goes through a second step of reduction, and we, we get to the stream, and I think, weren't we at the stream, Bonnie? We were at Gideon's stream. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's just a little pool of water. You know, everything in Israel is fairly small. It's all close together, and this Gideon's stream was just a nice little flowing brook, something like you'd find in Nisla or any place around up here. But... God says, have them go drink out of this brook, and then I will tell you who you should keep. And there's a lot of ways of interpreting the way they drank. I think the bottom line was, um, it was kind of a random choice. God's, God's not saying, I want the best fighters. 
God wasn't saying I want the best leaders. God wasn't saying I want the best. I just need people who are going to do what I ask them to do. And so, <clears throat> if they drank a certain way, Gideon sent them home. If they drank a different way, Gideon kept them. And when they got done with this process, there were 300 men left. 300 men to go up against 135,000. How do you like those odds? That's pretty stupendous. Um, I'd, be, I'd be doing a little quaking, I think, at that point. And I like, actually I went ahead in, uh, in the Bible to, um, to 1 Samuel 17.47 where David was going up against Goliath. And I like this verse. It says, then all this assembly, and he's talking about the Israelite army at that point, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. This battle was God's battle. He wasn't going to give the credit, any of the credit, to Israel. All right, but Gideon is just, he's still not quite sure. Okay, so God lets him do one more thing. God sends Gideon into the enemy's right front line. He went to their guard posts. He took his servant with him proof of verification, whatever. Yeah, well, let me find it. Uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 12, verse 13. And when Gideon had come to the front line of the Midianites, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his, then his Midianite companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has allowed Midian and the has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. Finally, I think, Gideon got it down, got it from his head down into his spirit, into his heart. He believed that God was going to do what he had told him he was going to do after hearing of this dream. So, he moved that word of God that he'd gotten way back at the wine press down deep into his heart. And so he went back, he gave the 300 men the battle plan. And, and I think you, you're familiar with the battle plan. The battle plan consisted of taking the 300 dividing them into three groups to go to different parts of the Midian camp, which with 135,000 men, that's a big camp, right? And he gave each of them a horn, which would have been a ram's horn. Forgot the word. 
would have been a ram's horn. He gave them torches and he gave them pitches, pitchers, just water, basic cheap water pitchers to cover the blazing torch. And they spread out. And when the time was right, Gideon broke his pitcher, blew his ram's horn, and stood and watched. And stood and watched. Okay, we're going to go to verse 19. Verse 19, yep. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets, all three of them, all three companies, blew the trumpets and broke their pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. Okay? They didn't rush into battle. They stood there. <clears throat> and every man and, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled. So, it was truly God's victory over this group of Midianites. Now, I'm going to kind of stop there, but they pursue the Midianites. 120,000 of them are killed by the hand of the Lord for the most part. And they win a tremendous victory. God wins a tremendous victory over the, over the Midianites. And because of that, Israel had peace in the land once again for the, four, for the 40 years that Joshua, or excuse me, Gideon continued to live. And I just wanted to read um, this, the a little bit about Gideon from Hebrews 11, the chapter of faith, uh, verses 32 to 34. And it says, what more shall I say? Yeah, so this is the writer of the book of Hebrews. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the alien invaders. And so, even Hebrews talks about the mighty victory that Gideon won, not because of the might of his army, but because of the might of the Lord and His strong arm. So, you know, God has called each and every one of us not to be just bumping along in life. And sometimes we, we have seasons. We go through times and periods 
But I think God has called us to be more like Gideon than what we realize. We've been equipped by the Spirit of God. We've been empowered by that same Spirit of God. Thank goodness for us, the Holy Spirit is given when we accept Christ as our Savior. And that Spirit stays with us, will stay with us for the rest of eternity. And that Spirit of God in us empowers us. We can speak to nations, but let's not go there quite yet. We can speak to our neighbors. We can speak to people on the street when we go into town. We can speak to people in the grocery store when we're out buying groceries. The Spirit of God enables and empowers us to speak the Word of God at the drop of a hat. You know, we don't need special training other than the Spirit of God within us to speak the Word of God, as long as we're in reading the Word of God and we're putting it into our hearts. And thank goodness that we too, like Gideon with those fleeces, we too live by grace. We're not perfect people. There are times when we are going to feel like we're bumping over that plowed field because that's just how life is down here on this earth. But we, uh, so we too live by the grace of God. We screw up sometimes. Sometimes we get things just totally wrong. But God is gracious to lead us and guide us into His righteousness and to into the works that He has called us to work. <clears throat> i got to go find a verse I'd written down way up front. This is one of those great verses from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, God's made them. He's prepared them. All we have to do is walk in them. Walk into them. And do them by His power and by His grace. And at the end, we know that we are victorious. Just as Gideon was victorious, We have been empowered by God. We will see the victory at the end of days. God will take us to Himself when the time is right. And He will lead us and guide us until that time is right. So we can proclaim today that we are victorious no matter what the circumstances of life might look like. We are victorious. We have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. He will lead us and guide us. He will protect us. He will take care of us. Um, We have no fear of death because He lives within us and has promised that we will be with Christ for all eternity. And then I want to go out of Judges. And if you want to turn with me to this last set of verses, I don't think it's on the screen but it's 1 John 4, 10, and 11. And I wanted to leave you with this thought. Ooh, those guys are good back there. I wanted to leave you with this thought. You know, God loved and still does love the Israeli people. They are His chosen ones. They screwed up. 
They messed up. They went after other gods. In the whole book of Judges, it talks about how they would mess up and then they would cry out to God and God would answer and send them a judge who would lead them and guide them in battle to win against their enemies, but hopefully also in righteousness so that they would turn away from the Baals and the, and the foreign gods. didn't always happen. And the cycle repeated itself many times through the book of Judges. <clears throat> but none of that ever stopped God from loving His people Israel. And that love of God is for us as well. He has called us. Well, let me read this. This is, this is good stuff. First, First John 4, 10 and 11. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So that's God's calling for you and for me today. <clears throat> he has loved us. That's a proven fact. He sent His Son Jesus to die for us, to be resurrected, and to live and rule and reign at the right hand of God the Father Almighty up in heaven. He's there today pleading and interceding for each and every one of us. And if God loved us so much, then we ought to love our neighbor. We need to love those around us. We need to love them enough to speak the name of Jesus to them. We need to love them enough to let them know that there is a way that they too can have eternal life in a great and glorious heaven. If we don't tell them, their ending place is not so great. And it's that kind of love that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, puts inside each and every one of us to enable us, to equip us, to empower us to speak the name of Jesus to our neighbors, to our communities, and who knows, maybe even to the world. We don't know what God has all called us to, but we know that He's called us, and we need to walk in what He has called us. So, when it feels like you're just bumping along, just look up. Look to God. Look to the Spirit within to say, I know you've made me for more than this. God, show me the next part of your plan for my life and lead me and guide me in it. I want to follow you. I want to love you and be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.